The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2015, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon was from Friday, June 5th. IPAs across the country, presented by Stephen Powell's Boulevard Brewing Company, Rick Chapman, Coronado Brewing Company, and Matt Brophy, Flying Dog Ales. Okay, I'd like to welcome everyone to uh, tonight's salon. Welcome to Savor, an American craft beer and food experience put on by the Brewers Association, national nonprofit trade association for small and independent craft brewers. My name is Pete Johnson. I'm with the Brewers Association. Welcome. Just a couple housekeeping items before we get started with the presentation. Please wait to enjoy the beers that are served until prompted by the presenters. If you have questions during this session, please feel free to raise your hand. I'll try to come over with a microphone to get your question because this session is being recorded. It'll be available afterwards on craftbeer.com. So also please try to speak clearly uh, when you ask your questions. So our salon this evening is IPAs across the country. And our presenters are Neil Witte, Boulevard Brewing Company. Rick Chapman and Brandon Richards with Coronado Brewing, and Matt Brophy with Flying Dog Ales. Please join me in welcoming our presenters. Well, this is super cool. I mean, I feel like I'm like just hanging out with friends in a living room here. So welcome. Thank you for participating in uh, the salon tonight. Um, you know, I was talking with Julia Hertz at the Brewers Association earlier, and I was thinking, said, you know, like, what, what year is this uh, for, for, for uh, Saver? Is it like five or six? You said it's eight. I said, wow, it's eight years. So I think that we know we're onto something good with this uh, the, the kind of the premier uh, uh, beer and food uh, uh, tasting event of the year. And so it's great to be here. Uh, we do have uh, the IPAs across the country salon here. We've got three beers. We'll have a total of uh, six pairings. So each beer will have two pairings. And we'll kind of go through in terms of uh, intensity. We'll start uh, on the lower end of the scale, and we'll see as we move through, through things, we'll go to more intense flavors. So as Pete mentioned, I'm Matt Brophy. I'm the uh, brewmaster for Flying Dog Brewery. Uh, Flying Dog has been brewing beer for over 25 years, and we are now Maryland's largest brewery, and we're located about, uh, about an hour west of here in Frederick, Maryland. Now, uh, Flying Dog's always had some hoppier beers in the portfolio, but what we've seen over the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years is, is, a, is a shift uh, away from some of the kind of more traditional uh, world beer styles. And if we look at kind of the context, I started as a home brewer, and I think a lot of craft brewers, if you go back to the 80s, it was kind of emulating those world beer styles is kind of what we did, and then we all started putting our own twists on things. And I think that uh, what we've seen is we've seen a lot of uh, uh, American craft brewers uh, moving more towards the hoppy beers. So Flying Dog's current lineup includes kind of the whole spectrum of, I, I feel a little bit like I'm an NFL ref here. <laughs> I'm part of the field. Um, so we have kind of the whole spectrum. So everything from our Easy IPA, which could best be, prepared, uh, be described as uh, like an India Session Ale, uh, to our Snake Dog, which is an American-style IPA. We have Raging Bitch, which is a Belgian-inspired IPA. We have The Truth, which is a West Coast IPA, and we didn't include that because I think we're going to end with the West Coast IPA. And we have what is an absolute hot monster, uh, our Double Dog, which is a, uh, a, a double IPA that rings in around 100 BUs at about 11.5% alcohol. So... The beer we have tonight, and when we kind of started talking about this panel, we had some, uh, the seminar, we had some conference calls, and I, f I felt like what really fit best was actually our pale ale, so it doesn't quite fit into that IPA category, but we were talking about what the inspiration uh, for these beers are and what some of the differences are uh, regionally. And so uh, when the, our pale ale, also uh, known as our doggy-style pale ale, was, uh, was one of the first beers in our lineup, and the inspiration came uh, from kind of the English styles. And I think that what you see that's distinctive about the English style pale ales and IPA is that there's more of a malt presence, and specifically a lot of times a little bit more of a, of a caramel malt presence. Uh, 
And the hops that are used uh, in the English beers don't have that uh, kind of super assertive characteristics that we see with some of the uh, Pacific Northwest hops that we've all come to uh, love so much. So uh, we, we see some of that in, in our pale ale. And, and what's interesting about our pale ale is that we, uh, a few years ago, we kind of looked at this beer that's been part of our family for so long. And as brewers, we've kind of gone through, as I think many other craft brewers and all of the craft beer lovers out there, your palate kind of evolves over time. And it kind of changes a little bit. And you start getting into different flavors and different, it's kind of, you, you kind of want a little bit more intensity. Um, and I think it was Vinny with Russian River who kind of coined that phrase, the, the lupulin shift. And of course, lupulin is like what makes hops great. It gives hops the fantastic aromas and flavors that we all have come to love. And, and to me, it, it, it's kind of like uh, when people like really like uh, spicy and hot foods and you, you kind of get acclimated to that and you need a little bit more and a little bit more all the time. And I think that's what we've seen uh, over, the, over the last five and 10 years in the craft beer industry is that people want like more and more hops or hops that have different characteristics. And so, the, brew, the brewing team at Flying Dog wasn't um, much different, and we have been introduced to new hop varieties that we love and want to experiment with. And so we made a decision, I think it was about four years ago, that we would, um, we would, keep, we would keep the, the, the pale ale, we, we'd keep the spirit of the beer alive, but we wanted to make some, some changes. And so there was two aspects of that that we wanted to change, and one was kind of that caramel malt character. We felt that it was just a, it was just a little much. And the other was, this beer we, we have, uh, we use Cascade as kind of one of the signature hops in there. And of course, that's been a very popular uh, hop. Uh, you know, I think that Sierra Nevada, of course, with their pale ale really kind of came out. And back then in the 80s, it was like, wow, this is really something. But again, we've kind of, kind of grown a little bit and our palates have changed. And so, there's a couple hops that I'm a big fan of and a lot of the brewers at Flying Dog are, and that's uh, Citra and Simcoe. And so we wanted to kind of diversify that hop uh, finish on the beer, and we decided we'd incorporate these hops. So we did, we did some small pilot scale brews and, uh, and really kind of liked the results. And we said, okay, well, let's, let's make some changes here. We're, we're, again, we're gonna keep the, the spirit of the beer intact, but we're gonna, we're gonna make changes. And so sometimes when I'm dealing with, uh, uh, if, I, if I'm talking with customers or giving a tour, that's a question that comes up sometimes. It's like, do you ever change a recipe? Um, you know, like, what do you do and how does that work? And I think that the, the, it's a little bit for craft brewers, you know, we're running a business and we have people who love these beers. So we don't wanna make any, you know, drastic changes and have people say, what happened to, what happened to the pale ale? It's different now and I, I love that beer before. Why why did you change it? So we don't kind of do this thing where we like have a press release and like, oh, the new and improved uh, Flying Dog Classic Pale Ale. Um, it's it's more of uh, we we feel that what we love, everybody else is going to love too. And what we're going to do is we're going to make the change. And here's kind of the trick. This is the way I look at it. It's a, you do it very slowly over time, right? So we took this and over the course of about four to six months. We, we basically were able to, through some of our pilots and everything else, we were able to kind of picture what we wanted out of the beer. We knew what characteristics we were looking for. And again, it's all still within the spirit of the beer. It's just going to be a little bit different. And so we targeted that final point, and then we said, what do we need to do to get there? And then we made little adjustments as we went over the course of time for four to six months. And the way I see it's this. If you're an everyday pale drink. It's like your go-to beer. Every day after work, you have a couple of them, and you drink it all the time. You're not going to notice because the change is so gradual. And if you only drink it maybe like every six months, and you might have a really good sensory memory, so maybe you'll pick up on it, but you might just say, hmm, this is good. Or you might say, oh, I don't, huh, this tastes a little different, I think, than the last time I had it, but it still tastes great. And so that's what we did, and we made this uh, kind of transformation and the beer's a little bit different now. And again, specifically with, with some of the uh, kind of flavor components, when you look at the Cascade hop, um, you kind of have, it's got a little bit of citrus and a little bit of pine and a little bit of grass. Um, it's a pretty, these days, considered somewhat of a, of a subtle hop. And when you look at something like Citra, it's got, it's got a little more of the citrus. And when you look at Simcoe, it's got a little more of that kind of 
dankness that, that you hear uh, brewers uh, talk about in their beers. And so we've got that kind of infused throughout now. And again, it's not a super intense beer. We'll see as we go through this lineup, you'll see that those levels of assertiveness and hops will go up. It is a pale ale, it's not an IPA. And uh, I encourage you now all to at least take a sip and you can see that the caramel, I think, is in perfect balance now. And we also make sure this beer finish is somewhat dry. Uh, pale ales and IPAs shouldn't be real sweet. They should finish nice and, uh, and, and dry and clean. I think it's, yeah, very nicely balanced. Nice aromatic characteristics. So nice, uh, solid pale ale, at least in my opinion. Um, so again, this was, this was, as we talk about kind of the regional differences, I think that what we've seen is that uh, brewers in the East have kind of, over the years, and this is all changing, kind of, I think, very quickly, um, have, have kind of been more on this end of the um, pale ale and IPA spectrum, where there's a little bit of caramel malt, um, and the hop assertiveness isn't kind of crazy, crazy out there. Okay, so... Uh, you guys want to you want to taste some food with the beer, and so what I was going to do is kind of go through, uh, you know, like kind of what I say like how I taste beer, but it's really like how all kind of craft brewers kind of go about this, and I think we have a lot of experienced people in the room, so I think you guys know how to do this. So I figured instead of kind of going through how to taste beer, what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through the pairing together, um, you know. So when when I when I approach a beer. Uh, it's always good to give it a little bit of a swirl. Of course, that's going to, that, that CO2 that's in the beer is going to help kind of push some of those aromatics up into the glass. And you kind of give it the drive-by. It's the, it's a couple sniffs that, and this we're going to do two quick little sniffs, but not like stick your nose in there because if you don't know the beer, or you don't know what's, what's in your glass, I should say, you just don't know what you're going to get. So you kind of want to approach it a little bit carefully. But then once you see that it's kind of nice, you go in a little bit deeper. And you get some of that earth, grass, some of that pine, a little bit of that citrus. And so when you're going to pair, when you go ahead and we have, what we have here for our pairing is the uh, Grafton Village. This is a four-year uh, aged cheddar. And so what I like to do is kind of use my imagination a little bit. But, but, but first off, I think that it's important to point out that beer is an agricultural product. And I think that's something that's lost sometimes. And uh, brewers are a lot like chefs in that we take agricultural ingredients and we transform them into something that tastes great. And when you have something like this, we have, uh, we have a, a product here that is uh, it's primarily made up of a grass, right? It's barley. And that's, I think that's in the grass family. And then you have this cheese, and like, what are the cows eating? They're eating cheese. So what I encourage you to do is take a sip of the beer, and when you sip the beer, let it coat your entire palate and get it kind of all over. And, and the reason for that is that there's, you have different kind of sensory receptors kind of all over in your mouth that'll pick up all the different flavors, whether it's bitter or sour or sweet, whatever the case might be. And then go ahead and uh, have a bite of the cheese. this cheese and so here's the thing definitely swallow the cheese I don't want this to sound weird but like don't like totally clean your mouth out right so then you take another sip of the beer and again let the beer really coat your mouth and this is where you use your imagination a little bit and you think about the earth and the grass and you get some of the malt plays off that and some of the grassiness and some of the earthiness and the hops play off of that I think what's nice about beer is that you have these components of, of the acidity and the alcohol and especially the carbonation that kind of, kind of pull some of the, the wonderful, like, super creamy and almost buttery characteristics of the, of the cheese away, and kind of rinse it down. And to me, the mark of a good pairing is, is like, do you feel like you want to repeat that? Do you, do you guys want to do it again? And, and I think that if the answer is yes, it's like, yes, that's a good pairing. Um, but you have to be careful because if you're not paying attention, you could be, you know, six-pack deep and have a half a block of cheese in your stomach by the end of it. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's our, uh, our Grafton uh, vintage um, uh, with the, uh, the classic pale ale. 
And then we've got this other pairing, which is kind of interesting. So this is a, a garlic uh, stuffed olive. And we can do the same thing here, where you can take a, take a sip of the beer. Oh, and the thing is, is this is, the, there's selections here. The rest of it's going to be uh, charcuterie. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> so that's why you guys are getting the, you're getting the olive. Boo! I don't think, I don't, I don't think when, when Stephen had originally said this, pan, this uh, <laughs> don't judge, don't judge. There's lots of, like, pig and stuff to come. Um, <laughs> But I kind of waited to tell them I was vegetarian, so I wanted to be par part of all this, and I you know, kind of pulled it out at the end. It was too late for them to kick me out. So let's go ahead and do the same thing here. thing that I notice most is like the garlic like really opens me up and like I get like it seems to really intensify a lot of the hop characteristics. And I feel like kind of that meatiness and some of that savoriness and the saltiness of the uh, of the olive uh, really really kind of go well with the malt characteristics in the beer and some of that kind of earth and everything else. So I think a couple really good pairings. Um, I apologize if you brought a date with you. Um, <laughs> you might be in trouble now, um, but there's uh, plenty of other stuff down there still on the floor that uh, we, can, we, can, uh, we can try after this. So uh, what, are the, what, what kind of questions do you guys have? Yeah. Brilliant. Um, what I'm curious about is, um, are you going to make something like a single hop mosaic? A, sim a single hop mosaic. Yes, uh, that's uh, quite possible. The question was if we're going to make a single hop mosaic, and mosaic is one of the newer hop varieties, and it's quite possible that you will see a single hop mosaic uh, sometime in the near future, 2016 maybe. We'll see. We're still working on it. It hasn't been finalized, so it's not a promise. Any other? Yeah. Yes. So what would, are you growing hops today? Are you going to be growing hops at the hop farm, and what hops do you think you're going to be growing? Well, there, there's a few questions there. So uh, Flying Dog has always uh, been engaged in the agricultural process um, uh, in Maryland. So we have multiple hop farmers we work with. Uh, we do a beer every year called Secret Stash, which is kind of our celebration of the Maryland agricultural season. And we kind of, we kind of go through a, actually a hop selection process to make sure that uh, we're getting good hops. We invite all the other Maryland brewers to come to participate in that process so they can select their hops there as well. So Flying Dog right now, uh, we're not actually involved in that Farmers Project. That Farmers Project uh, as a farm brewery is continuing in, uh, in Luckett's. Um, and we'll be, uh, we plan to be customers of uh, uh, its Organarchy Hops out of Cumberland, Maryland, who's running the hop growing operation there. So what we look forward to is more hops from Northern Virginia, Maryland, and also up in New York State, which of course is a historically a great hop growing region. Does that answer your question? Great. Yeah. You have a lot of successes. What's your biggest blunder? Biggest blunder? <laughs> uh, well, this is a good one. So. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. That's the one. So. <clears throat> So here's the thing, we, 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 the project was actually going along very well. So we were gonna do a chocolate IPA and the idea was a lot of people do chocolate stouts. And it's actually, it's, it's not that hard really to do the, the chocolate stout thing because you, um, you can use chocolate malts and things like that that actually kind of mimic the chocolate flavors. And of course you can add chocolate and that helps as well. What, what our concept was is we're gonna do a, a chocolate IPA and it's gonna be kind of light. We're not gonna use any of these dark malts and it's gonna have this nice like subtle kind of chocolate element to it. And it did, it did, it did all the way through fermentation. <laughs> but then once we got it in the package, that chocolate wasn't really there anymore. And it was basically, we used the Chinook hop in that for pretty much most of the hopping. It was almost a single hop uh, Chinook. So it was this amazing IPA uh, that never made it to market. It made it to my fridge and a lot of the a lot of the flying dog team's fridge, but that was about as far as it went. 
It was a commercial failure, but a success for the team. <laughs> Time for one more question for Matt. All right, we might have some time when we're done. So, uh, Neil, Boulevard Brewing is up next. All right, thanks. Great job, that was awesome. Um, you guys don't mind if I keep sitting down. Uh, first of all, I should say I am not Stephen Powell's. Stephen Powell's, our brewmaster, was supposed to be here last minute. Uh, scratch, I'm pinch hitting for him. Uh, so I apologize if he was the big draw for any of you that came here. Uh, and no offense to these guys, a rock star cast here, but uh, so I'm, I'm pinch hitting. So uh, I'm Neil Witte. I'm with Boulevard Brewing Company. Uh, I do training and field quality for uh, Boulevard Brewing Company and uh, and also Brewery Omegang and Duval USA because we are now part of the Duval family of beers. Um, so I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, kind of IPAs and how they've developed a little bit in the Midwest. It's been a little bit, uh, a little bit different development of things, uh, in, in Kansas City. We're, uh, we're, if you don't already know, we're located in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I've been with a brewery, by the way, for 17 years. I started there as a brewer and, uh, I moved into a field quality role in about 2001. Um, <clears throat> So, you know, when I got into the business, uh, uh, you know, IPAs weren't even really a thing. I mean, you know, I, I think back to when I really started to get into beer and really started home brewing and, and really getting into full flavored beer. And there weren't really, I try to think of like, well, what's the IPA that I can remember from like the 90s? And, you know, the only thing I can think of is, uh, um, you know, a, a well, really, I can't really think of any. I mean, there, Anchor was uh, Anchor was doing one, but there was really wasn't much out there. So, you know, uh, pale ales were kind of uh, revolutionary beers at the time. Our, the core beer for us originally, the original beer we made was Boulevard Pale Ale, American style pale ale, and I would taste that beer in front of people, and you know, we I would do a guided tasting with uh, Boulevard Pale Ale, and and you know, this is uh, you know kind of mid 30s IBUs, and and people would just like turn up their noses and be like, oh God, this is so bitter. And there would be, you know, there would be a lot of reaction to that beer. Uh, but, you know, like you said, there's this been, been this kind of lupulin shift, so to speak, where, uh, where things have changed quite a bit. And now it's, it's the land of IPAs. So, you know, the first IPA we ever did was uh, a beer called Double Wide IPA. It was part of our Smokestack series. So we've got our core beers that we've always done. Uh, we've added lots of brands to those beers over the years. Uh, but when we built our new brew house in 2006, um, we finally had a lot of breathing room to experiment and kind of, uh, you know, make some higher alcohol, fuller flavored beers. And the first IPA we ever did was a big double IPA. And this was a big, rich beer that I think really represents in a lot of ways uh, what some of the first IPAs coming out of the Midwest were, which were, you know, if you would have taken those to either coast, they would probably would have told you they were barley wines. You know, these were heavily hopped beers, but they also had big, rich malt character. I mean, we were, you know, we were putting tons of caramel malt and brown sugar in this IPA. So, you know, it had a huge malt character in there to balance out the hops. You know, technically speaking, it probably fit into, you know, whatever category, you know, whatever guideline you're looking at for IPA. Uh, and we felt like it fit that. Um, but, you know, now, you know, IPA has shifted quite a bit, you know, uh, and, and what we're trying to do now is making, make something a little bit more hop forward. Um, we've got, uh, you know, right now, we, what we're tasting, uh, this red IPA, it says tasting room on the bottle. So uh, this is, uh, you know, initially our, uh, our smokestack series was kind of a vehicle for experimentation. And so now we're, we're also exploring some other kind of routes of, putting some experimental beers out there. And this is one of them. So the Tasting Room series are beers that really you can only get at the brewery uh, on tap, or you can get them if you buy our sample 12 pack, right? So uh, the Red IPA is, is one that, that we think kind of represents uh, more of what, uh, what you might find in, in kind of what we call like a mid-coast India Pale Ale. So, uh, this has got, you know, it's got some, uh, obviously, uh, pale malt base, 
A little bit of Munich malt. It does have some uh, caramel malt in it as well, amber malt. Uh, and it has a little bit of uh, midnight wheat. So the midnight wheat adds a little bit of color and it, and it does give just a little hint of that roast, but midnight wheat, as you might know, is uh, something that we like to use that uh, can give you some color, uh, but it, it doesn't really give you a ton of that roast characteristic. So you know, we like to use that and we've used that in several of our beers. Uh, and we, what we wanted to do was uh, use some hops that, that we felt uh, worked really well with that. So we've got uh, Simcoe and Chinook in this. And uh, you know, Chinook, both those got kind of citrusy characteristics. Chinook is, is really kind of piney, spicy characteristic as well. Uh, so you know, this is a, a, you know, a nice beer. Both, we use both those at, at end of boil and in dry hopping as well. Um, so uh, you know, go ahead and sample it, uh, try it out. So, you know, one of the things I think we should note as well is just the way that we make beer at Boulevard and the way that I see a lot of brewers in the Midwest and in the kind of center of the country are doing beers is, is we like to make things that are really well balanced. And I think that was kind of the mentality of, of Double Wide IPA initially was, was we're going to make this really big hoppy beer. And at the time, you know, that was, you know, that was, I think, uh, 73 IBUs. And at the time when we made that, we were like, oh my God, it's so many IBUs, it's crazy. Uh, and we felt like we needed to balance that out. So we just put you know, a ton of, ton of rich malt character, the brown sugar, like I was talking about. Uh, but you know, this, is, this is a little more, uh, this is dialed back. This isn't your big double IPA, but it's still kind of in that same vein. It's got a lot of nice balance, but the hops, the hops, I think, pop a lot more than in uh, some of the IPAs we were making earlier on. But it's representative of kind of who we are as a brewery. You know, a lot of our core beers are really, uh, we like to think they're very well-made, well-balanced beers uh, that, you know, just clean and good kind of straight-ahead interpretations of the style. And, and I think this is a good representation of that. There's a little bit more character malt in there. Yeah, you got a question. Oh, okay, yeah. So that was a compliment saying it's really nice. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, nice balance, but good hop forward beer at the same time. Nice straight ahead interpretation of the style. It's kind of the way I like to think about uh, a lot of our, you know, most of the beers that we make. Obviously, you know, we, we make a lot of beers that kind of push the envelope a little bit, but for the most part, very well balanced. Uh, we like to think very clean, good interpretations of the style. Uh, so I'd like to just dive right into the pairing. I, I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, this pate. This is a duck pate, uh, and it's got actual. It's actually got grapefruit in it as well. It's made by uh, a, a local butcher in Kansas City uh, called Local Pig. Guy Alex Pope uh, has turned into kind of a little bit of a rock star in Kansas City. Uh, he, you know, he's uh, one of these uh, one of these butchers that you know uh, has really kind of burst onto the scene a couple years ago. Uh, you know, really into sustainable farming, uh, you know, sourcing uh, local livestock, uh, you know, really into sustainability and, lo and uh, using, you know, local livestock. Uh, it's very good stuff. This is duck pate with a little bit of grapefruit in it. Uh, so go ahead and maybe take another sip of your beer. Uh, don't, don't drink it all because there's still cheese as well. And then take a little bit of bite of that pate. And uh, sorry, you're a vegetarian. So, you know, some of, the, some of the real basics about pairings, you know, I'm thinking about here, you know, looking for some of those flavor hooks, obviously, you know, with the grapefruit, it's just a natural match with citrus hops. Uh, and to me, it's really kind of emphasizing a lot of that too. It's really bringing those out. Now, it's really nice. Pate is very rich. You get a really, a nice balancing characteristic from, from hops and IPA. And to me, this pairing is like a no-brainer. 
looks like. So you've, you've got a, a, a pate like this with grapefruit. This type of beer, it's like, well, what else are you going to pair with this? So you know, you've got your natural flavor matches. You've got some great contrast in there, some balancing aspects, uh, richness of pate, fattiness, and you know, just some, you know, just the right amount of hop bitterness to balance that out. Intensity match, nothing is really overpowering each other. Um, just works really well. Uh, so the next one is a is a blue cheese. So blue cheeses uh, can be really great with India Pale Ales, and they can come in a lot of different intensities. And we played around with some different ones. We found one in Wisconsin that we thought uh, worked pretty well with this. Uh, it's fairly mild. Uh, you know, we played around with some pretty intense ones that we thought overpowered the beer too much. Um, but, you know, I like a good kind of tanginess and that, uh, that intensity that you get from the mold and a blue cheese. With an India Pale Ale, that intensity match is really a nice thing. A blue cheese really needs something that's going to stand up to it. Um, and, you know, I think this one works pretty well. So go ahead and uh, take another sip of beer, eat some cheese, drink some more beer. This is really hard work. I know you guys signed up for some tough work here. Yes. Excuse me? Oh, more beer. Uh, we need more beer over here, yeah. I, I think I've told you to drink beer too many times at this point. Awesome, thank you, thank you. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear, for the recording, I'm supposed to repeat everything somebody says without a microphone. That was the best pairing so far, no, no offense. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, send my apologies to Alex Pope who made the charcuterie as well. So. <laughs> yeah, so when you get the right intensity blue cheese and the right intensity IPA, I think it, it just works really fantastically. Uh, these are a really great match. Um, you know, IPAs are a really fun thing. It's the hottest beer style out there right now. Uh, most of you probably know that India Pale Ales are the hottest selling craft beer style out there. Uh, when you look at like scan data from grocery stores and stuff. So uh, IPAs are a big deal and there's a ton of interpretations there. And this is a vehicle that brewers are having a ton of fun with and I can't wait to see what comes out next. Everybody's kind of scrambling for these new hot hops to make the IPA that, that tastes totally different than the next guy. I think some of the best IPAs out there are some of the IPAs where people are using existing hops widely available in blends in really creative ways. Uh, you can make a beautiful IPA without having to use the new, latest, greatest hot hop. I mean, those of you who, who might get some applause over here, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know how many of you get the BA Forum, but I, I kind of scratch my head sometimes, especially lately in the past month or so, the number of people who are looking for really rare hops and they've, uh, you know, they've built this like flagship beer around a hop that nobody can get. I'm like, man, it's like you've got all the tools at your disposal right there, you know. So, uh, you know, I've, there's some really beautiful ways to use existing hops out there, and, and that's kind of what we're trying to do too. We're we're using some of these really cool new hops too, but uh, you know, it's exciting what people are doing. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for play in there, and it's a uh, it's a really fun category. So I'll get off my soapbox now. Yeah, I got a question over here. Um, pairings you guys have with cheese and stuff. Is there a list available um, that we can kind of see? Because I know and I'm supportive of local vendors and stuff like that. Is there? A, like, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can provide you with uh, with where all these things came from. Uh, I'm sure we can get and that on a also, list. And also, like, did you go through? What made you go choose? blue cheese with this versus other different kinds of cheese? Did you go to this instantly or did you go through trial and error before you got to this pairing? Well, you know, uh, when we make these, you know, uh, when we made this decision on this one, you know, this seemed like a natural match for us. Uh, you know, it, it's not arrived at without having tried a bunch of different cheese pairings with IPAs. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of great stuff that you can match with IPAs, like a really long-aged cheddar and like a more a milder IPA can work really well too. But you, uh, you know, maybe even some really 
really strong, funky, stinky cheeses can work in certain ways. Uh, blue cheeses have the intensity. Uh, you can rely on a blue cheese to have the intensity to stand up to an IPA. That was just kind of an, you know, one of the first thoughts we had. And uh, you can get them in a lot of different intensities. You know, so this one's a little bit milder. Some of them can be a little more intense if you've got a really intense IPA. So it was just kind of you know, one of the first things we thought of. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah a lot of great blue cheese coming, coming out from all over. You, know, you start uh, really digging to try and find a cheese for pairing, and you quickly become overwhelmed with options. Time for one more question for Neil. Any more questions? Yeah. You're making the calling IPA. Yeah, the calling IPA. We're serving that downstairs right now. Let me tell you, as a West Coast guy, that is San Diego worthy. That's really good. I'll take so that as a compliment. Uh, you know, you want to do the Midwest, or what you call it, the mid eat? What was it? Uh, Mid coast. Mid coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Forget that. You like that? You so like that term? I'm guessing that you, you're using Mosaic, Equinox, um, Galaxy, and Amarillo. Is that yes. right? Yes, yes, that is correct. Keep it up. That's outstanding. <laughs> there was no question. It was just an observation. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I'm going to pass the mic along. How are you all doing? I'm Rick with Coronado Brewing Company, and uh, I'm, I'm one of the founders of Coronado Brewing. My brother Ron and I started the company. Uh, Brandon Richards is our marketing and sales director, so uh, we're not brewers, so we're not going to be as uh, descriptive on the, on the beers we do. We have our talking points, but um, anyways, so I started the brewery probably, uh, it was 19 years ago, but my brother and I, we loved beer, so... We've, we found the location where our brew pub is and decided that we were going to make food and brew beer. So uh, Coronado Brewing Company became, and the, the first beers that we looked at were like the Sierra Nevada, the, the Anchor Beer beers, and um, they were fabulous. So I owned a coffee shop. My uh, head barista at night, we asked him if he wanted to be a partner in the brewery, Sean DeWitt, who's a partner with us today, said sure. He just got out of college. So he went to La Jolla Brewing Company and started brewing beers with their brewmaster. And uh, Sean fell in love with brewing beer and um, became our head brewer, and he's a partner with us today. Uh, anyways, uh, IPAs in San Diego. I think the first IPAs that um, we knew about were when Vinny started brewing IPAs at Blind Pig. And... Uh, Everybody fell in love with them, so we, we tried to emulate what, you know, we, that's when the battles of the IPAs in San Diego started. We all started trying to make better and better IPAs, and we've all just played off of each other with that. What's that? Yes, yeah. Last year I was here with uh, Steve Wagner from Stone and uh, Chuck Silva from Green Flash talking about West Coast IPAs. It's interesting the IPAs that have developed throughout the United States. I mean, you look at the East Coast and they're more malt forward. Where, and what you guys are doing with your balanced beers, you're, you're making fabulous beers. Um, we, we strive for balance in all of our beers as well. Um, I think you'll find that in most of the beers that Coronado Brewing Company makes. Um, anyways, I'm going to hand it over to Brandon Richards and he's going to talk about the beers and the pairings we have here. All right, here you go, guys. Thank you once again. I'm uh, Brandon. I'm sales and marketing over at Coronado Brewing, and uh, you can call me the closer for today. Um, so Sockknocker is in our Crown series. It's a limited release beer that we usually release around April. So this beer is, is about 40 days old, which is pretty fresh. Um, but we held this one back. It's, it's one of our. It's probably our second most popular beer in the series. Some great hops in this beer: uh, Amarillo, Centennial, Columbus. Um, a, a great interpretation of a West Coast style IPA. It, it, it does have some of the newer, newer age hops in it. Um, very, this beer in particular has more of the citrus uh, flavors that are going to come more than the, the piney and the that you get out of the Cascade, which we have in our Islander IPA, which we're serving downstairs. Um, but yeah, this is this is a great interpretation. And going back to what Rick said, 
uh, on the West Coast, we are brewing big, big beers that come in at seven to eight and a half percent. We're, like you mentioned, we're we're competing over new hops, and um, we we don't use very many. We don't have many mosaic or um, centen not centennial citra. We we use most most of the traditional hops in the beer. So we're gonna go ahead and uh, get going with the cheese here. This is a cheese from Bel Canto. It's a goat and buffalo cheese. Um, and once you, you can give a beer the tr try the beer first. Um, but this is out of um, Adante Dairy in Petaluma. Petaluma is where Lagunitas is, so that's about 600 miles north of us. Um, we don't have ver very many dairy farmers down in Southern California. We don't have any water right now either. Yeah, we did. Um, this is an amazing cheese. In that last one, we, were, we actually tried 11 different cheeses, and we, we liked a blue, but they did a blue. So th this, this cheese is absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's very creamy, has some citrus and lemon notes to it. It's going to complement the beer very well, um, and it, it's very, very great. So go ahead and give the beer a little, little try. And we all got a bit, pretty big piece of this cheese, so enjoy that. So the, this uh, creamery is, is local, California. This is a very hard to find creamery. We had to fly this, fly this cheese out. Um, when, we, when we selected it, we didn't know that it's limited. So we had to call the, call the creamery and beg for some for this event, which we're, we're pleased to get it. Um, moving on to the prosciutto, this is very interesting. It's a wild boar prosciutto. So also brewed, uh, has some sea salt in it. So it's very, um, very strong, has some gaminess to it. Also puts off a little bit of sugar. So you get a, um, you know, I don't speak and tell people what what you taste, but when, when we were doing this with our brewer and our chef, we, we got a little bit of sugar out of this and it complements the beer nicely. He said that we nailed it. That was dead on. That was really good. Congratulations. The, this was cheese was a really, it's just amazing. That was nice. So which, let's do a little competition here because we have uh, the Brewers Association a couple years ago, um, they had a che cheese and beer pairing national. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we bumped Boulevard about four years ago. And so Stephen was really upset about that. And so he came back the next year and we won it again. So we have the cheese and uh, beer pairing championship. We're the reigning championship. but. You guys have a fabulous pairing here, and I, mean, I think we should put it up to the vote, maybe, to see who's... Because Stephen, Stephen was very upset when he, when he didn't win it again the second time. It was between us, Alaskan Brewery, and Coronado, and the Boulevard. And, uh, but anyways, a little friendly rivalry that Stephen and I have, and we hold the paddle of the cheese and beer championships. The, Bre the Brewers Association stopped doing that, so... I think we should bring it back. What do you think, Pete? Talk to Julia. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I have a question for you, for you guys about the future of IPAs. If you, to the extent you can discern any trends right now, where do you see IPAs going? That's a great question. Neil brought up IRI, which is our grocery store data that we look at. IPAs aren't slowing down. If we have new, new hops that we're going to continue to get, they're going to give you new flavors. I just think that it's just going to keep on growing. You know, the, over the years, you know, about 10 years ago, ambers were the, the most popular category in IRI. Then it tr trans transitioned into paleos, and now we're at IPAs, and I don't really see it slowing down. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think it's hard to predict, obviously. I think it, it, anybody who's been in the business for more than five years could tell you that uh, nobody five years ago could have told you we would be where we are right now. Uh, things are very hard to predict right now. Uh, you know, having been in the industry for 18 years, it's, it's like 
a world of difference. That said, I, I think uh, the trend that I see right now is brewers looking for new flavors. They're they're using uh, they're using fermentation aromas uh, more than ever, playing around with very aromatic yeast strains. Uh, they're looking for new hop aromas and flavors, and that's the trend that we're seeing manifested in IPAs right now. Uh, they're looking for the late, like I was saying, the latest hot hop because it doesn't smell and taste like anything else. Uh, you know, they're looking for that edge. You know, unique ingredients that are going to give them some different characteristic: wild yeast strains, uh, bacteria, sour acidity, you know, all that stuff. So I think. IPAs, uh, I think as a, uh, I see maybe that term being expanded even more than it is. I think uh, the term has been diluted somewhat. You know, you've got, uh, you, you've got red IPA, white IPA, black IPA, session IPA, double IPA. Um, you know, it's, uh, the list goes on. I think you'll see more in, uh, incarnations of that. Uh, I think you'll, I, I think eventually some something's going to, going to taper and and people are going to start to looking to other styles for that new hot thing and I think you know there's a there's an intensity of flavor that really energizes people with India Pale Ale and I think that's part of the appeal and I think you know there's other places that people can find that too so you know all things uh, kind of come in cycles I think I think we're still seeing a big growth with IPAs, but eventually I think people are going to start looking in some other areas too. But that said, IPAs won't ever go away. Uh, they're too big now for them to just completely disappear. So that, that, that's a way of, of answering in every possible form without, <laughs> without actually answering the question. <laughs> I, think you I think you covered that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that, so just to continue on that a little bit, uh, IPA is something that I think the customer understands. Um, but yeah, and basically agreeing a lot with what Neil was saying. I mean, I think it's expanding way beyond that, and uh, it, it. I think what we'll see is we can see beers. When people think IPAs, they might think a lot of bitterness, but a beer can have a fantastic hop characteristics without necessarily all that bitterness. You can also look at those kind of fruity components that we're talking about. So I think that it's just something that there's a there's a, brew, a brewer and a customer familiarity with that. I think is going to evolve. I don't know what that is going to be five years from now, but I think it's gonna it's gonna change, and we'll get beyond the uh, the IPA. It do, the IPA doesn't it the term now do, it doesn't even make sense from the from where it kind of started. So it's just like it's just something to ca categorize these things into that kind of fits that the customer understands. Well. Yeah, so the question is, is that what does the search for new hops and new hop characteristics look like? And, uh, you know, there's a t tremendous amount of uh, energy that goes into that. Uh, hops for years were looked at as uh, just a kind of a commodity. Of course, when the, when the mega brewers were so involved, uh, all they were really looking for, for the most part, was that kind of bitterness component to balance out, balance out their 12 IBU beers. Um, but in the last uh, 10 and 15 years, and even it's accelerating dramatically uh, in the last six, five, four, three years, when you look at what's going on in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest with the development of new styles and new techniques as well uh, for processing hops, there's a lot, a lot of investment going in. Uh, so it's, it's, it's part of it is finding new hop varieties and uh, there's, there's folks out there that kind of travel the world looking for these like exotic varieties and then they do test plots up in, uh, up in the Pacific Northwest and say, how does this do? Does it do well? Do you like the characteristics? And brewers all over are playing with everything to see what is this? What kind of characteristics does it have? Is it desirable? Is it not? Is it cool? Is it not? Whatever. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of energy going into that and I think it's energy well spent. Hops are an agricultural product. We're seeing hop acreage grow and grow and grow and I think that's a positive thing. Uh, for everybody across the board. And what you've seen over the years is that brewers, craft brewers are actually, they're willing, because we're not in a commodity situation anymore, uh, when you have a, a hop farmer and processor who has, uh, has kilns that they would normally run at 160 degrees to cool the hops in six hours, realizes that you get better oil retention if you run it at 140 degrees. 
for eight or 10 hours. Well, that limits the capacity of how many hops they can process, but they turn to the brewers and they say, well, will you pay an extra $2 a pound for them? Yes, we will. So build another kiln and run them through slower so that we can, we can capture all of that. Does that kind of answer your question or maybe? Yeah. Yeah, the, the comments are about hot processing, and yeah, it's an extremely important part, but that's why, again, uh, I think people in this room understand the connection to agriculture, but it's a, it's a real partnership. It used to be, I think if we would go back 15 years ago, um, it was what I describe as kind of the pizza shop mentality, where you, you just call your supplier, hey, send me five boxes of this, send me five boxes of that. It doesn't, there wasn't a connection, um, and I think there's small brewers out there just getting started that haven't made that connection yet, and they're naive enough to think that they can just, just open up a brewery and call and get these awesome Simcoe hops or Ozaka hops or whatever it is they're looking for, but it's just not quite that simple. So actually meeting with the growers, with the farmers, and making commitments to them, meeting them face-to-face, -face, sitting and having a beer with them, talking about what your vision is for the future and how you're willing to support them, and you support them by signing multi-year contracts. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, but it's a commitment. It's a commitment that brewers make to ensure that, that their business will remain viable for years to come and, and support craft beer in general. Patrick. You're looking at yield and sustainability. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about these fantastic uh, new hops that come out. It's very difficult to you know, to present to any one of these brewers, you know, a brand new hop that's fantastic, but it doesn't have the yield and it doesn't have the sustainability. And it can be very disappointing coming back to them the next year and saying it's not available. So. Locally, DC Brow just made a collaboration with uh, Oscar Blues in commemoration to uh, pot bean legalized here, called Smells Like Freedom, and they used two experimental hops, and everybody's going, dude, this is really, really great. They say, yeah, it's a one-off because we can't get that hop again next year. And your, your point is very well taken. That That's the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry about the ping pong. So, you know, a lot of what, what's going on right now, too, are people are, they're having a, a brand that is multidimensional, or it's it's allowing some creativity within, you know, their their offering. So uh, I think Yazoo is a good one. They have a hop project, and it's just whatever's good, whatever they like. It's hop project, you know. And Matt, you have one also, you know, and it just it allows creativity without being boxed in. So it's, I mean, that's that's a, it's a good vehicle. questions I'm gonna lighten it up a little but um, <clears throat> what's it, across the country what IPAs are in your fridge that you don't brew razor five for me fair Republic It's not currently in my fridge, but whenever it can be, uh, I'll, I'll have a Sculpin, Ballast Point Sculpin. Uh, no, that's that's uh, San Diego. I'm, I'm from Kansas City, so. Oh, from Kansas City? Oh, you know, jeez, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, you're kind of putting me on the spot. I'm trying to think of uh, something local IPA that I, I drink. You know, Kansas City is kind of an oddball market. We've, uh, you know, we've just only recently have had like five or six breweries open up there. It's uh, we're a little behind the curve, surprisingly enough, even though we've been there for 25 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd probably have to look up to up to Michigan maybe to. Uh, to look for something like that. The, the all day is fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Two Hearted is, is one of those that's like a go-to beer for me in the Midwest. You know, when, when there's nothing, when I'm in a place where there's nothing else to, to order, you know, like Sculpin, like I said, if that's there, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. 
But uh, Two Hearted, you know, you find that all over the place, and it's just fantastic beer. Love it. Uh, there's a small brewery on the eastern shore in Maryland called uh, Evolution, and they make some fantastic beers. And uh, yep, number three, number nine. So that's that's in my fridge. I'd have to say uh, Mosaic from Carl Strauss in San Diego, which does not distribute outside of California. It's a fantastic session IPA made with. Yeah, that's it. It's an awesome beer. It's a very just easy, like to talk about where IPAs are going, a lot of session IPAs. Um, I like lighter beers. I like beers I can drink a few of. So, yeah, Mosaic is my, it's in my fridge. <laughs> I don't buy a lot of beer from other breweries because we, we get a lot of beer. So. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. <laughs> but I, actually, I got that at a festival, so I didn't pay for it. What's that? Chocolate IPA? No, I tried. I, I didn't get any. I did hear about it though, but uh, I tried a. What was it? A hoppy. Uh, what was the one we tried last? Time? Oh, chocolate. No, no, it was a coffee IPA, and it was really good. I was really. I'd heard about them before, but I'd never tasted one. It was like this really plays well together. Where was that from? Fate Brewing. Yeah, it's it's fun to come east from the west because we just we find new stuff that, you know, you guys are more traditional IPAs, kind of east coast, more English single dimensional IPAs, and now that you guys are playing with all the uh, you know the more a lot more different hop profiles, it's you guys are doing a great job out here. And our time's up. Uh, what the heck? We can keep going. Uh, we probably have time for one more question. Somebody's got one. Good. Yeah, have you guys ever, um, I guess, can you talk a little bit about the challenges of working with fresh hops? Um, season's starting to come up. You know. Yeah, fresh hops, uh, it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, I think that if you are uh, close uh, to the Pacific Northwest or to a hop growing region where you can uh, secure a good deal of, of fresh hops. Uh, because of the moisture content, there's so much moisture in those hops, you need a, a kind of a massive amount uh, to really have an impact. Um, what I find is, is because of the perishability, if you will, of those uh, of fresh hops, that uh, the risk of uh, the dangers of not getting the hops in good condition and being able to use them for, to a good result uh, kind of out, outweigh uh, the, the traditional kind of going through and drying. And to me, I would say a fresh hop would be take it right out of the kiln when it's been, let it get bailed, and then take it to your brewery and then use that. That's, that's, to me, that's as fresh as it gets because it's pretty much as soon as those hops are pulled off the binds in, 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 the, in, in the Northwest or there's a lot of hops in Michigan, we got some locally, uh, they, they're, they're going to go downhill. And if that's the one thing that I've seen uh, when it comes to uh, the very small hop processors, the, or hop growers, I should say, the guys that just have a couple acres, and they get pissed, I think, when I say this, because I say it's not hard. I've grown hops, and it's not hard to grow great hops. What's hard is, is to process them. So you can grow the hops, but you can just ruin everything at the end if you don't harvest them at the right time, and you don't treat them right and process them after they've been, uh, been picked and everything. So that, that's the key. I'm not sure if that's the answer you were looking for, if I really answered your question, but that's kind of my take on it. Neil or Rick, you guys want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I'd say our biggest challenge has just been the freshness that, that, you know, that you've talked about. You know, we've, uh, <clears throat> you know it's, it's a challenge from a scheduling standpoint uh, because, you know, we're, you're in constant communication with the grower. When's it going to be ready? When are we going to get it? And it's not like, okay, it's on the way. Let's brew the beer. No, it's like you got to plan ahead. So you're you're looking down the road. You know, you're like, okay, we're you know we're going to send it to you. We're going to put it. You know, we're going to ship it out in seven days. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. And then they're like, oh shit, it's raining or whatever. You know, so it's difficult. <laughs> Um, so scheduling is a real issue, and then all you know, and then sometimes you get it, and oh man, you know, like you you pull some really green hops off out of the top of the bag, and it's all brown underneath. And we've had that happen before, so yeah, it's tough. You know, it's, uh, getting them fresh and scheduling is a real difficulty. 
Ditto. Just, sorry, another quick comment. So yeah, I had a farmer uh, in Baltimore County call me last year. This guy we work with a lot, and uh, his kiln went down. And he said, "I have 400 pounds of nugget hops ready to go. They were wet." And I was like, "Oh man, like well, we got to do something with these, right?" And it, but it, but like Neil said, it's like it's not like we just like I don't know. We can't just like stop everything and just create a new beer. Like we, you know, we have things going on. So it's it's just it's not that easy. And yeah, if there's weather or whatever it is, it creates challenges. So it's 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 a, it's a difficult situation to deal with. But I don't think there's anything wrong with other brewers doing it. It's just I don't think it's right for everybody. Final question. All right. Thank yeah. Thank you, presenters. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2015, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2015, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com slash savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.